What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you as a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Just a light sermon on a July 2nd Family Sunday. You would think we'd pick something about freedom, freedom in Christ, freedom something. Um, but I promise we're not gluttons for punishment. This is just, we preach the Bible. And this is the word of God. And the fact is this, is that the word of, every bit of the word of God was written by God. And it's all profitable. And then what, what Paul tells Timothy is that my job, and actually our job is to rightly divide the word of truth. And so we're going to do that today. Um, but I, I got to start out with just a little bit of context and just to let you know, to catch you up to exactly where we're at. What's happening in Corinthians is Paul is writing to a church that has in some ways really lost their way. And they've actually started to defend their own individual spirituality as opposed to what's happening in the larger group. So all of this sermon and all of this section of scripture is about the gifts of the Spirit within the worship service, how to use them, how to see others more highly than yourself, and how to serve God in a humble, prophetic, spiritually emphasized way. That's what we're talking about today. And I'm, I'm tempted to, I'm really tempted actually to just like kind of glaze over this and just go verse by verse, which we're gonna do, but there's this term in journalism called burying the lead. Any journalists out there? Anybody ever heard that term? It's basically they give you a header, they give you a subject line, and they say something crazy like, how to always be skinny and fit without ever working out and eating pizza every day. I'm just making this up. You ever see an article like that online? And you go, okay, I would like to do that, please. I'd like to eat pizza every day and not work out and stay skinny and fit. Can we please do that? 
and you click on the article, and it's 87, it's like a manifesto, and they never actually talk about this one, that thing that they put the header up for. It's called clickbait. Burying the lead. A journalist can actually put an article out there that has this great headline, and really they want you to read like 3,000 words worth of stuff before you ever get to the headline. So with regards to that, I don't want to bury the lead because I'm afraid that if we don't talk right now about these passages on women being silent in the church, you're actually not going to hear anything that I have to say the rest of the sermon. So I want to start out by addressing that. Occasionally in the Bible, we will stumble upon a verse or several verses that seem completely out of nowhere, out of context, and just a curveball to a section of Scripture. Nowhere is that truer than this passage today. It feels out of left field. Some scholars have even gone so far as to completely dismiss these section of verses, saying that somebody must have come in and a scribe or somebody later must have written something crazy because this doesn't sound anything like the rest of it. Well, the problem with that thought is this. All of the early manuscripts of this passage contain these passages. So you can't actually argue with that. It's in the Bible. So let's talk about some things we know. First is this. Paul is not opposed to women speaking in the church. He's not. He just spent 15 verses in chapter 11, three chapters earlier, on how women should pray and should prophesy in the church. Also, other parts of Scripture where Paul has mentioned women participating in prophecy. Not to mention the start, the very start of the church when the Holy Spirit came on them in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And here's what the Holy Spirit said, which, by the way, he had already said in the Old Testament in Joel. Acts 2 says, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall all of them prophesy. So let's be clear from the start that this is not about women being able, not being able to speak at all. But it is, however, the nature in which they speak, and it's not even just women, it's the nature in which all of us speak as regards to weighing prophecies in the gift of tongues. We'll talk more about this later, but I think Kathy Keller has helpful words for us as it's concerned. She says this, the charge of misogyny against Paul is unsupported by even a casual reading of the New Testament. He worked alongside women, deputized them to carry his letters, established house churches in their homes, trusted them, expected them to be full participants in the body of Christ with the gifts of the Spirit. Sadly, many people do not take the time to make even a casual study of the words and deeds of Paul, so this change, so easily disproven, lives on among biblically less literate. There's something happening in Corinth that Paul is having to address. It's for men and women. It's for everybody involved. And what is happening in Corinth is this. Just remember how we got here. How do we get to this place? If you've been following along, maybe you haven't. Let me catch you up if you haven't. But if you've been following along, you'll, you'll know that we've been studying the gifts of the Spirit. We've been studying about a church in Corinthians, a church in Corinth, that was more, much more concerned with their own individual spirituality and their own superiority. So we see this play out multiple times throughout Corinthians. It's like this. It's like a church now has bought into the lie that they're in competition with each other. I'm more spiritual than you because I prophesy more than you do. I'm more spiritual than you because I speak in tongues 
more than you do. Paul is correcting them. They actually don't even think about the new believer. They go to temples and within temple worship, they'll eat meat offered to idols and they won't even think about the new believer in the room who just got saved out of temple worship. So Paul comes and says, don't eat meat offered to idols. He's like, it, meat, it's, not, it's one thing or another. It doesn't matter. I'm not gonna tell you that food or that idolatry is anything. There's only one God, but you're not thinking about your brother who is a new believer. And that's why it's sinful. What I think is the crux, what I think is the anchor to 1 Corinthians is in chapter 13 when he says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Paul is trying to tell them, you think you're so spiritual and so close to God you don't love your brother. So guess what? You're actually worshiping a false idol. Love is the point. It's key for them and us and as we move through these sermons on the gifts that it doesn't actually matter what gifts you have if the point of those is just for self-exaltation. And the way we know that you are about you is in how you treat other people especially those in the church. Galatians 6 says this, don't grow weary of doing good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't grow weary to doing good, especially the church. So here we are at the end of this section on the gifts. What God is going to say to us now is some of the most important instruction that I think we will get, especially as it pertains to orderly worship. Work through how to be a spirit-filled church and especially, again, on Sundays. So the first point is this. Your gifts are not only for you. Your gifts are not only for you. Verse 26, he says this. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I want to say that again. It's so important. Let all things be done for building up. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble for what I'm about to say. There's no doubt in my mind. There's just some people who just don't agree with me on this next take. I love potlucks. I'm a fan of potlucks. <laughs> I've been to some bad ones. You know, most of you have heard me talk about my hometown. It was small. It was in Louisiana. You know what I mean? It just, although some of that food was better than some of the food you get in a restaurant here, it sometimes it's just there's some mystery things going on in a potluck. People bring some things that you're like, I'm not sure what that is. And your mom says, You need to stay away from that. That lady's crazy. You know, that's what my mom used to do. I love potlucks. I it's one of my favorite things, and I, I think we should do more of them. But anyway, it's also one of the things we do in, in community groups is kind of a potluck. We do a family meal where we have a theme and multiple people come in a community group and they'll bring certain things and they'll share with everyone. The reason I'm bringing that up is because what Paul is saying and what we should strive for, let all things be done for building up is the church as it pertains to gifts is not a formal dinner. This is not a place you come to be served. This is a place you come to a potluck. You bring your gifts, you bring yourself, you actually bring all of your confusion, all of your thoughts, all of your baggage, which everybody here has some, 
You bring all of that, all of your edification, all the things that God has told you, you bring it to the church and let all things be done for the building up of the body. The church should be a potluck. I, no shame here, but I just wanna tell you, look, if you go to a, a potluck or a family meal or whatever and you don't bring anything, I think that's fine <laughs> on some level, but don't be the guy that doesn't bring something to the church. Bring who you are. Bring all that you have. Bring your thoughts and your prayers. Bring your encouragement. Bring your gifts. Bring with eagerness to serve the body and worship Jesus. Andrew Wilson's really helpful, by and large, on 1 Corinthians, but especially in this uh, chapter. Andrew Wilson's a British uh, theologian, really, really good dude, really smart guy. He says this, gifts do not reside with a pastor or vicar or a group of elders or deacons or men or a small coterie of individuals, a small group of individuals who have been believers for a long time. They belong to everyone. And he goes on to say this, the practice of spiritual gifts like the Eucharist, which is communion, itself was more like a bring and share lunch than a formal dinner. Paul says, let all things be done for the building up. You bring your gifts, I bring my gifts. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Your gifts are not only for you. Second, order over chaos. Order over chaos. Order as it pertains to tongues. Paul's gonna talk about how to have order in the church to where it makes sense. Paul's already talked about tongues and said, this is weird for the outsider. We're gonna talk about this in a little bit. So there must be order. It's not just everybody saying things and shouting things and interpreting things or whatever it is all at once. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Mark those words, keep silent. What's interesting here is Paul says, if any speak in a tongue, not when, but if, if that happens, if the Lord visits your church in that way, which is actually completely possible and plausible, if that happens, then let there be only one or two or most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. The Corinthians were primarily, they were obsessed with the gifts, but they were primarily obsessed with the gift of tongues. And part of that had to do with the context they were in. Temple worship would try to put you in a trance. If you go and worship a false god, you go speak blabbering things. The person up front, the temple priest, would blabber things, and they would pass it off as, I'm in a trance, I'm closest to this pagan god. So what was happening in Corinth was you were confusing the actual gift from God, the tongue, with also pagan idolatry to say, I'm more spiritual than you because this happens in a temple. Look at me, I'm more spiritual than you because I do the same thing. It's ecstatic. It's some sort of trance. That's actually not what, it's all of a sudden you forget your brain to speak in tongues. That's actually not what any of the gifts are. There's no such thing as forgetting the human brain to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the brain that he created. That doesn't make sense at all. That's why I love what Sam Storm says when he says the gifts actually need practice. If you pray in a prayer language, practice praying in the prayer language. Using your mind, not just 
a trance that overtakes you. If you practice in the prophetic, if you say like, I think I have some prophetic gifting, I, I, think, that I, I think that the Lord gives me uh, words of encouragement, exhortation for other people, practice those things. And don't even always get it right, but practice. It's not a given, Paul says, that you will speak in tongues. Earlier in this chapter, Paul states that tongues are strange. And he says it vehemently. Verse 23 in chapter four, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, listen to this. This is so funny. This is like very layman's terms for Paul. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? (laughs) And everybody in the room would say, yeah. Yeah, they would actually say that. You are out of your minds. However, he also notes that it's a gift. And what Paul also says that I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Bottom line is this, tongues are given for edification of the person and the church, but there is an order to it. It's not absent of the human mind or intellect or heart or soul. There's an order to it in the church. First is this, it cannot be everyone at once, Paul says, only two, maybe three if it does. If the Lord visits your church in that way, only one, maybe two, maybe three. And also it must have an interpreter. Paul seems to be insinuating here that an interpretation of the tongue must be known beforehand. And the reason I say that is because otherwise, why would he say, or how would he say, let them keep silent? Which at that point, it becomes a prophetic word for the church. It's God giving his word to the church. It's not just a prayer language. It's a corporate tongue. Paul says, if there's no interpretation, and actually what I think he's insinuating is, you actually don't know that that's coming beforehand, keep silent, keep silent. I wanna invite you, uh, Zach Merrill, uh, the guy that led worship here today, he preached on tongues on June 11th. I'd love to invite you to go listen to that if you want more information about what the gift of tongues is and what it isn't. You go to shawnee.frontlinechurch.com forward slash sermons or just go to frontlinechurch.com and go to Shawnee, find all the sermons. You'll learn more there from him. Order as it pertains to tongues and then also order as it pertains to prophecy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak And let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. It's the second time that he said, keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Here's why. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. It's an important note here. This is Paul instructing in the public sharing of the gifts, the public sharing of prophetic words for the larger church gathering. Smaller groups, homes, etc., would of course require a different approach at times. Ministry time, prayer on Sundays, we do down here, there'll be words given where it's not necessarily weighed or you don't take it to elders to weigh it for a corporate setting, but it's just encouragement, words. I think the Lord would say this to you. Prayer team, we have a prayer team in this church that meets frequently every other week to pray for Sunday. And they'll, they'll share prayer needs with each other. They'll share scriptures. I think this might be something the Lord has for the church. Scriptures, they'll be praying. 
community groups or Bible studies that you have or even one-on-one conversations where you sit across from someone and you say, hey, I'm not a prophet. This may or may not be from God. I mean, this is like, this is that thing of like using your faculties to go, okay, let me be socially, let me try not to be socially awkward in this setting. But I think the Lord might say this to you about this particular thing in your life. Those can be words from the Lord. Paul says in a corporate setting, in a public setting, weigh what is said through elders, 1 Timothy 2. But not just through elders in a corporate setting and not just, don't just stop weighing when you're sitting across from someone, they say, I've got a word from the Lord. You go, man, does this testify to my life? Is this, bless me, is this testify to scripture first and foremost? God's actually never gonna say anything that's different than what he's already said. Prophetic words require weighing no matter the situation or the circumstance. And listen to this, not everyone who says, thus saith the Lord, actually probably a little bit skittish of somebody ever saying that anyway. Not everyone who says, thus saith the Lord is from the Lord. Or at times they just may, may be a little off. Weigh the words against the word. Given for edification, not tearing down, not a warning. The amount of times that I've come across people in ministry in my life that would say that they have the spirit of a prophet who would warn like in the Old Testament. I just, I'm a new Jeremiah. I'm a new Isaiah, I'm a new whatever. And it's like, we actually don't need Jeremiah anymore. We got the, word, the book that God wrote because prophecy and the prophet is true and totally fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. In the larger church gathering, weighing a prophetic word requires even more discernment than in the smaller. They all should be weighed. They all should be, we all should ask the question, is this true to scripture? In a larger gathering, of course, there's a responsibility to bring order over chaos. And that responsibility is given to the elders of the church. They are responsible for weighing prophetic words. They're responsible for going, is this for the church today? Is this... A corporate word for us is God giving us a unique insight into his heart for our church. We've had multiples of those. Every month we have something that we share. It might be a word about like, hey man, I think the Lord maybe wants to heal people in this way today. We had, we had one of our great leaders um, probably two years ago came in, in to me and, and said, you know, it's interesting that I, I stayed up all night with shoulder pain and I don't have a bad shoulder. <laughs> This is a young guy. He didn't have bad shoulders like all of us in our 40s just have them, you know. We just have them for whatever reason. And he just, he said, I was praying, I was in pain, and I said, I think the Lord maybe wants to heal some shoulders in our church. And he did it with humility. He did it with peace. It wasn't anxious. He said, what do you think about that? I was like, yeah, let's go for it, man. That day I said, hey, we feel like the Lord may be speaking about shoulders in the church. I would have never thought of that on my own. Anybody need, anybody have shoulder pain? I don't know if he's gonna heal it. You know, I give all these caveats because of how weird I feel saying things like that, and it's just ridiculous. I'm like, I don't know if God will heal you. Just let me make sure you know that I don't know if he will heal you, but maybe he will. But come on down and pray, and you know, we'll be in perfect prayers and blah, blah, blah. I think we had, we might have had five shoulders healed in the next four months, and it wasn't that. Even that day, we had a man who had shoulder pain, chronic shoulder pain for 10 solid years of his life, instantly healed. 
And it, it, it wasn't a joke. He wasn't like ecstatic. It wasn't, he was very skeptical. He came walking. I said, I guess I'll come down here, you know, instant. Now that doesn't always happen, but the way that came, the way God visited our church, and then we spent a year at least solid, multiple healings. I think at one point we counted 12 healings, supernatural healings in a church of 300 or so people. That's God visiting a church. So he, he gives words to his people for the edification and pouring out of his spirit on the church. They are to build us up. Elders have a responsibility, a governmental responsibility to weigh them and present them to the church. Paul says weigh in this context. Two or three prophets don't talk over each other. Listen, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and also be encouraged. Order over chaos. And finally, he wraps up this little piece of scripture here. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This does not mean that you're not going to be confused. It does not mean that you're not going to have times of utter chaos in your life. What's interesting about the story of Job was his life was completely peaceful when he had everything. And then everything went away. And then it was utter chaos. And you know how he's constantly asking, like, God, why would this, will you answer me? Why would this happen? And God actually never answers Job. You know the story of Job? He lost every single thing. He was like the wealthiest man in the history of the world. Everything taken away from him. All of his friends are saying, curse God and die. They're trying to figure it out. And then in the end, God finally shows up to Job, who is crying out, God, will you show up? And how does God come? He comes out of the whirlwind, out of chaos, and he speaks to Job. And he basically tells Job, you are not God. Who are you to question me? I'm God. And you know what happens in that moment? Job becomes completely satisfied in God's presence. God never answers why it happened to him. Never. Job doesn't need an answer anymore. He's got God, and that's enough. He's not a God of confusion, but of peace. That doesn't mean that we're not gonna have chaotic circumstances in our life, but the, the reality is this, God is in the chaos. He's in it with us, walking with us, working, and somehow still sovereign over every single thing. Prophetic words for the church means God of peace comes and really just infiltrates our chaotic world, and brings a word. I, this is hard for me to talk about without tearing up, but I, the amount of times that I've had prophetic words, uh, your wife, Charlie, you know, she, uh, Charlie, this is Charlie, <laughs> and uh, he's a pastor of Frontline and a really, really long old friend of mine and his wife, they're good friends, but she had a word for me when I moved out here, and uh, there's just a, there was a season of my life where things were feeling chaotic, and and basically her word was, God is gonna meet you in a way that you don't realize, in a way that you don't think. And he's actually gonna do things through you that you could never realize as well. You can never think. And that's actually really been true. That's really been true. Things like that sustain, sustain us. They're, they're meant, they're, they're these moments where God breaks in. He infiltrates the chaos to say, hey, just keep going. Set your eyes on him. He actually has a plan and it's not chaos for your life. 
for more study on the gift of prophecy. This is not like, by the way, soothsayers or fortune tellers. This is words um, of edification for the church, just like we talked about. For more study on prophecy, I'd invite you to listen to Chad Kinzer's sermon from June 18th, shawnee.frontlinechurch.com forward slash sermons. Now, let's talk about the role of women in corporate words. One thing that's noteworthy before we move on, I'm gonna recap a little bit of how we started this sermon. Paul has now said, keep silent towards two types of people, but with the same premise, with tongues and prophecies who are out of order. Tongues in verse 28, keep silent. There's no one to interpret. Prophecy in verse 30, be silent if a revelation is made to another. He's making statements about the gifts in the corporate gathering. Who should exercise authority over them and how they should be managed? I want you to imagine with me, if you will, the scene here. We've got a bunch of competitive Christians who are trying to um, outdo one another. When Paul says in Romans 12, you should outdo one another, but outdo one another in showing honor. What they're doing is trying to just outdo one another. So now you have like basically a Roman Colosseum of Christians in the church that are saying, I'm more spiritual than you. You're less spiritual than me because I know this about eating meat offered to idols. We've already talked about this, but I have to reiterate because it's important. Imagine the scene. This is the church now. Imagine if you put 50 to 100 to however many people of competitive survivalists in a room together, what would, you, what would you get? You would get a lot of people talking over each other, a lot of nonsense. You get a lot of people not caring about what you have to say, but only what I have to bring. That's what's happening. That's the scene. Tongues, men, women, shouting, judging, interpreting loudly, I would assume. I wasn't there. But I would assume prophetic words. I've got a word from God. No, I've got a word from God. No, you, you have to shut up because I have a word from God and mine's more important than yours. Paul's about to make specific statements about how specific statements about how women are to participate in the weighing of prophetic words, order over chaos. He's not making general statements about how women are to participate in the church service as a whole. I want to reiterate that. I need you to hear me. Paul is making specific statements, specific statements about how women are to participate in the weighing of prophetic words in a corporate setting. He is not making general statements about women speaking or in the service at all. Again, chapter 11, Paul spends 15 verses discussing how women should participate in praying and prophesying in the church, not if they should, how they should. Talked about head coverings in chapter 11. I know this is, this is like a real catch up for those of you who haven't been here, but head coverings. Paul says, if a woman is to pray and prophesy in the church, she should cover her head. Well, why did he say that? Because that sounds strange. We obviously don't enforce that here. Why does he say that? Well, part of it is the society that they lived in. As quickly as I can, this context is important. They were living in a world where there was this great radical feminist movement happening at that time. And women were neglecting their husbands. They were neglecting the call on their life to be submitted in covenant to their husbands, to be in one marriage relationship. So what was happening is you got this term called the new Roman woman. And they were throwing off their symbols of marriage and covenant. 
One of them was a head covering. You could actually tell in that society if a woman was single, was offering herself as available by her not covering her head. So what was happening in the church was women who were being discipled by culture, men were too, by the way, they were being discipled by culture and they were saying, okay, let me be a part of culture. Let me too throw off my marriage cover. It'd be like taking your wedding ring off in the middle of a service and saying, let me take my ring off. Now I have a word from the Lord. And Paul's saying, no, no, you are married. That's as important as your word from the Lord. Chapter 11, he says, you should prophesy. You should pray in church. Just don't neglect the thing that God has bound you to, which is your marriage. He says this in 33b, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. It is a jarring statement, and I get it at face value. It makes us go, Paul is, he does not like women. <laughs> and it's not true. It's not true. There's a couple of things that we have to talk about. Number one, this first and primarily, the weighing of corporate prophecies is the responsibility of elders in the church. Corporate, corporate prophecies. That's a governmental role, responsibility of elders. Paul describes it in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. He's also talking to them about order over chaos. Without authority in the church, without God-given authority in the church, what we get is chaotic. Again, the second would be the context of the new Roman woman. We talked about the head coverings. Rebellion against their husbands, rebellion against male authority, period. Rebellion against the sanctity of marriage. Apparently what was happening in Corinth was this. When certain men stood to give prophetic words, possibly even elders, certain wives in the church would talk over them and then even interrogate them. Can you imagine? Paul essentially says, don't do that. Keep silent. That is a rule for every church. Not just, I'm not just picking on you, Corinth. That's for everyone. We need order over chaos. He reverts them back to the sanctity of marriage and the roles of husband and wife when he says this. Let them ask their husbands at home. If they have an interrogation for their husband who's giving a prophetic word, don't do it in public. Do it at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Also, the word shameful is mentioned in chapter 11, which is why I think that this is speaking about this throwing off of the marriage covenant to make your husband or other husbands look ridiculous in a public setting. It is shameful, he says, for a woman to remove her head covering in chapter 11. He says here, it's shameful for a woman to do this in the gathering. Kathy Keller again says this. Paul in 1 Corinthians is not condemning to the public ministry of women, but he's regulating it. He's also doing that for every man in the room. I get that this is a jarring statement. And the other thing is that's important to note is these verses, these particular verses, have caused a lot of grief, uh, have been misconstrued and misused in a lot of churches, and some of you have been a part of that in this room. I hope today that you, are, you get some redemption with it. I hope today that you get some context and to understand that God wrote all of the Bible. 
but maybe it's triggering for you. And what I want to invite you to is, if that's the case, if these particular verses, even after our sermon today, maybe you still got questions or your heart's upended in some way, man, I would love to talk with you more. I really would. I'm available. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to hear your story. Um, All of us would. Any leader in this church, we would love to hear you. So if that's you today, I'm available. Finally, this, as we close. The bottom line is this for every man, woman, and child in the room today. We need humility. We need humility. And we get it by submitting to the authority of God. Paul says to the Corinthians who were anxious and proud, or was it from you that the word of God came? (laughs) Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is quite the hammer drop from Paul. Did the word of God come from you? Are you able to rewrite it and interpret it the way that you want? Or are you the only ones that the word of God has reached? Are you the only ones who know? Maybe what we need to do is submit to all of us, one to another, to the word first. And let that be the tie that binds for us working out our relationship, and especially in the order of corporate worship. I I love communion. We take it here every, every single week. And when you talk about the church being a potluck over a formal dinner, well, that, that's never more true than when we talk about the table of the Lord. This is a, it doesn't matter what you smell like, look like, act like, what your job is like, what your bank account is like. If you have trusted Jesus to save your soul and you've been baptized into the church, this meal is for you today. The tie that binds is this. Maybe there's a lot of you in the room that haven't actually trusted Jesus. Maybe you're just used to church and you're used to the terminology and you're used to even somebody opening the Bible. You're used to all of that. You've got church on your brain. You know all about it. You're culturally speaking, you would call yourself a Christian, but you never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe that's you today. I wanna invite you, don't come to the table. It actually wouldn't even make any sense for you to come. It requires faith to take the table. Instead of coming to the table today, come to Jesus. I'm ready to talk to you. There's multiple people. There's people that came that brought you here, people on your row. There's a lot of people in this room that would love to talk with you about Christ. Jesus is the head of the body. You are the body of Christ on earth. We are the body of God, about to partake in the body of God. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Let's stand together.